Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us slash sermons. We'd love to have you join us for a worship service this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road in Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. When I came on at Cornerstone about a year ago now, uh, I started going to the elders' meetings and, and, you know, sitting in there, and we discussed a lot of different things, and one of the things that, that, we, that I overheard right away was something called Home Point. And I didn't know anything about it. I had never heard of Home Point before in my life, and in there at the very beginning, because I needed to get up to speed, we didn't spend a tremendous amount of time. But as time progressed, I learned more and more about it and became more aware of what it was. I began to do some research, you know, some of the things that the guys told me to, to look at to, to see Home Point and to learn what it was. And, and as I did that, as I became more aware of what this, this ministry is, I guess you can call it a ministry or something along those lines, I began to see how beneficial it could be to any church, to Cornerstone especially because I'm the pastor here, but to any church, I began to see how this is a, a tool that could be used by everyone in here in developing their faith, developing their family's faith. And so as time progressed, we, we, we bought into it, we got the material, and then part of it is building something. And so if you've been here, you've noticed out there in the foyer where the curtain is, and I'm sure you've peeked. Everybody's probably peeked in there and tried to look and see what's back there and, and see what's going on. And, and if everything goes well, next week it'll be finished. And so the goal is next Sunday. And when I finish preaching and we dismiss when you go out there, there it'll be. And you'll be able to go and interact with it and you'll know what it's all about. But this week and next week, my sermons are going to be a little different than normal. I'm not normally, I just take a passage of scripture and break it down. But because we're, we're doing this specifically about Home Point, this week and next week are going to be about that. This week we're going to talk about why we think it's necessary. In other words, what is the problem that we see that leads us to think home point is, is uh, helpful in, in defeating this problem or going after this particular problem? And then next week, how it works. So this week is really the underlying problem, the issue that uh, we, we face. And so what I want to do, hopefully it works this morning, we're going to dim the lights and there's a video that I want you to watch. And this video is about five minutes long. It will kind of explain a little bit about, I guess, the basic reason why we think this is where, where, where this all starts. So let's go ahead, and if we can, let's watch this video. The majority of American teenagers, I think, are moralistic, therapeutic deists, uh, not Catholic, not Presbyterian, not Jewish. The God of moralistic, therapeutic deism, I say in the book, is something like a combination of uh, a divine butler and cosmic therapist. He takes care of your problems, he helps you to work out your difficulties, and doesn't get too uh, personally involved in the meanwhile. The purpose of life seemed very fate to me. It doesn't really seem to have a purpose yet, but then again, it could for all I know. I really have no clue. It's just to live life to the fullest. And moralistic therapeutic deism basically believes, uh, sure, a God exists. It's theistic. God created the world. God orders the world morally. People should be nice and fair and friendly. That the purpose of life is to be happy, to be satisfied. That's what it's really about. Uh, that God doesn't need to be very involved in one's life. 
God can sort of be off at a distance, hence the deism. Uh, except when one gets into trouble or has problems or needs something solved, then one can call on God and God will sort of hop to it. And teens have an immense amount of faith that God solves their problems. He fixes their troubles and he makes life work better. He makes them happier. Well, I think God's plan for us is uh, he bases his plan on uh, happiness and joy. And through that, he makes our lives challenging. God is is everything, like I said. Anyway, um, what I think God wants for me is to get married, because he wants me to stay a virgin and get married, have, and then just have my beautiful life. I don't know, I guess sometimes, in times of need, everyone, like, like, their backup plan is God almost, like, when they find nothing else, they'll just, they'll pray or whatever. And I guess I can do that sometimes, but most of the time it's just kind of like, there can't be a God, because why would I feel like this? But my belief right now in God is that He is around. Um, sometimes He can't change what goes on, but He could help. I like politics a lot, and I'm a very liberal person, and so I just don't like being a part of a church that I don't like that doesn't want gay people to get married because I don't see it as a religious issue I see it as it's two people let them be happy and so I have a hard time being in a place like that where you put rules and stuff that make people unhappy God he it's not really for me to say but the gist of it um, he wants the best that we can offer I mean uh, the best to your ability like if you're only given so much you're only required so much if you're given a lot then you're required a lot God wants us to be happy and to live right. Religious traditions are, from my perspective, are really being colonized and corroded from the inside out by moralistic therapeutic deism. And that is, I, as a sociologist, I am uh, skeptical of what is going to be the fiber or the, or the theological content or the, the intellectual substance of beliefs and practices of people a generation hence. It seems to me that many social forces are basically converging to sort of watered-down religious faith of all different sorts, so that you no longer have distinctively Catholic and Jewish and, and Muslim and, and Wesleyan or whatever. You just have this sort of bland mush of be nice, call on God when you need him. And that is not what these religious traditions really believe. I like to think of God as kind of being in everything. God is like in all things. It isn't just one specific thing. Like when you're walking down the street and you see like a tree or something, that tree is God. Like everything, God is in everything. I don't think God expects us to like sit in a church and pray and bow down and all that kind of stuff. I think God kind of expects us to help others and not be too like self-absorbed. I don't know. I think we're just supposed to do good. The majority of American teenagers, I think, are moralistic therapeutic deists. Now, if you paid attention when I, I came here to preach my sermon and when, in view of a call a year ago, and I don't expect most of you remember that, I mentioned moralistic therapeutic deism. That's kind of what this whole video was about. And it was a, a study done by a group of people over about a 20-year period. And their conclusion was basically this. For the majority of young people, no matter what their claims are of their faith, belief, what their background is, you could pretty much lump them into something they called moralistic therapeutic deism. 
They have a moral belief, everybody be nice and be good, but the morality wasn't really based on, in the case of Christianity, on the Bible. I mean, when the Bible lined up with whatever the culture said was good, then okay, we could go with the Bible. But when the Bible started to kind of get into some areas that culturally we weren't too comfortable with, then the morality was the, the, whatever was going on today. The therapeutic part was God was there to make, he's just going to help you get through things. You know, when you need him, he'll show up. And, and it's kind of like Superman. When your cat was in the tree, you'd wear Superman. He'd fly in and get the cat down. God's there, just, but if you don't need him, that's the deistic part. He doesn't really mess up your life. You can go days, weeks, months, years without ever really thinking about him or having anything, him, having anything to do with your life. And what they, they noticed about this is this just kind of was across the board. You know, whether you're Baptist or Presbyterian or, or, or even, you know, Muslim or Buddhist or whatever, it just kind of fell into this area. And so I've, I've noticed this. I, this, is, this just isn't something that just popped up out of nowhere. And so along with this, I, I read an article this past week that came out of the, the Tennessean. Actually, it was a couple of weeks ago, but I, I dug into it. The Tennessean is the, the Nashville newspaper, and, and in Nashville is Lifeway, which is the research or the publishing wing of the Southern Baptist Convention. And they do a lot of research. They do a lot of, of, of polling people to get some ideas. And the article that I saw, this was the headline. It said, what new life way research reveals about why young adults are dropping out of church. Now, I could have found this article in 50 different publications in different ways because this is something, as we'll see in just a moment, that's been around probably for 30 years what the research reveals about why young adults are dropping out of church. And so I read through, it's a fairly short article, and this is what they talked about. It said, first of all, 66% of regularly attending high school-aged church kids will stop attending church for at least a year between the ages of 18 and 22. 66% of regularly attending high school-aged church kids will stop attending for at least a year between the ages of 18 and 22. And so what that means is when, when, these are, when they talk about regularly attending church kids, these aren't what we would sometimes refer to. We shouldn't say this, but the, on the fringe, you know, they maybe show up once in a while on a Wednesday night. We're talking about these are the kids that are here right now. They're here on Sunday mornings. They come fairly regularly, 60, 70% of the time throughout as kids, as high schoolers. When they hit 18 and they graduate high school, go off to college, get a job, whatever, two-thirds of them will quit church for at least a year. So if we have, you know, 10 kids in here, six to seven of them, by the time they're 22, will drop out. Went a little deeper and found this. The second point, 60% of those that, go, that, that have left will go on to either have no or virtually no relationship with the church ever again. So they drop out for a year, but 60% of those that drop out for a year, I mean, this obviously the study hasn't gone on forever. They may, some of them may come back, but at the time, 60% of them were done. And when it says virtually no relationship with the church, they may show up for Easter or Christmas or Mother's Day to make somebody happy. But the reality is they have no real connection with the church in any capacity at all anymore. The reality is then, Nearly half of young people who regularly attend church will stop completely as soon as or very close to when they graduate high school. 50%, give or take. 
Now, can we say that this is that we as a church, as Christians in the Western culture in 2019, are penetrating the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or can we honestly say it's the other way around? Is the culture penetrating the church? And this is really kind of close to my heart because in many ways as I read this, this is me, your pastor. I graduated high school in 1994. If you do the math, yes, my 25th high school reunion is this year. My high school no longer exists, so there you go. I went to a small Christian high school in north, or northwest Pennsylvania. We had about 100 kids, give or take, kindergarten through 12th grade. And I was the good kid. I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday. If we didn't have children's programs on Wednesday night, I went to prayer meeting. I was that kid. My wife gets upset because sometimes when we talk about disciplining the kids, my mom will say, well, I never had to spank Jason. He was just a perfect kid. And I say, yes, exactly right, mom. I was perfect. My brothers disagree, but anywho... And when I went to high school, I was, I was the president of my youth group. I was the, the, the president of the student body because we only had 100 kids, so that wasn't a big deal. But anyway, I was, the, I was that. I was the kid that when other kids' parents found out I was going to be at the, the party or the gathering or where all the kids were going to be, they let their kids go. Well, Jason's going to be there. It won't get out of hand. I mean, you know, I was that kid, the responsible old man at 16 and 17. Then I graduated high school. And by Christmas break, I was done. I went to a Christian college. Please don't live under the delusion that that fixes everything. I went to a Wesleyan college in the middle of New York, and I never went to church. One of the things I didn't mention in this, this article in the Tennessean is that 70% of the kids that just dropped out of church didn't intend to do it. If you would have asked them when they were in high school if they were going to continue on, they all did 70%. Yes. A very small few thought they were going to be done with it. Most of them were like me. They just It wasn't a conscious decision. It just had never really taken root. Now I, you know, I mean, I'm the pastor here at Cornerstone, so something did happen to me. I didn't stay away like some of the others. And I've shared my testimony, and I'm not, we don't have time for that this morning, and I'll share it with you if you want to hear it some other time. But God called me back about eight or nine years after I dropped out. But now... As I think of this, and I think of what I just saw in even that video, many of my friends are the end result of what we just watched. They went to school with me. They were in church with me. We went on youth group trips together. We praised Jesus. We went on mission trips together. They talked about their faith. And now they left about the same time I did, and they're still gone. About 10 or 11 years ago, you know, social media really started to kick off. Facebook became a thing. And people like me that at that time had been out of high school for about 10, 12, 15 years, it was great. We started to be able to reconnect with some of our friends from high school. And so I'm still friends on Facebook with some of them. And I read some of the things that they put down and I, I, I have a little glimpse into their life. And some of these folks that I went to church with, went to school with, did all of these, these Christian things with, I read them now and I have no idea where, where they are spiritually. They're out there. Way out there. Very similar to what we just watched. Maybe there's a meaning to life. I don't know. Who knows what's going on? I just, God wants me to be happy. God wants us all to, the, the meaning to life is just to have the American dream, I guess. 
And so when I, I watch this, I see this, and, and, and I see that problem. I, I, I understand it. And I see when I watch this video, I was, when I talk about me, that was 25 years ago. It's gotten worse. It's not improved. So, what's the solution? Is it more church programming? Is it, is it more children's ministry? Is it more youth ministry? Is it, is it coming out with something else along those lines? Well, the truth is, right now, we have more children's programs and youth programs in our churches than at any other point in history. We have entire staffs dedicated to it, and they do a great job, but that's not biblically what they're called. They're not, they can't do it all. In fact, the, the church that started Home Point, there's a, it's a big church outside of, of Dallas, Texas, and uh, they actually hired a guy, brought him on staff. There's a church of like eight or 9,000 people. Brought him on staff to deal with this particular issue. And this guy that's, that got hired on staff there, he shares this story. When he showed up at this church and he got, you know, the tour of the church as he was starting on, he got to the children's department. And when he got to the children's department, he saw, go ahead and put up the, the picture. Hopefully the picture comes up. He saw this. I know it's not the, the easiest thing to see, but it's a slide. All right, he went in the children's department, and if the kids were lucky enough to have their room on the second story, when they got dismissed from the children's department, they got to get in a slide and slide down to their mom and dad. And he thought, I mean, if the church that has a slide can't keep the kids, what, what chance does anyone else have? I mean, they have everything. What kid wouldn't go, I can't wait to go to church? It's like Batman when he'd slide down, pop out, and he's in a different costume. They would change the slide up, and it was for different times. I mean, they have everything. But he recognized, listen, it wasn't, I mean, there's a church that was even here in Arkansas for a while that in their children's department, they had a baptistry that was a fire truck. And if a kid got baptized, they shot off fire cannons and they had confetti that popped off and they would take them to Chuck E. Cheese and everything you could think of. Yet still, the, the majority of them were leaving. It's not about programs. It's not about youth departments and children's departments. They can come along inside and help, but that's not where it's at. I want to read you something that if you were, you're on the church's Facebook page and I asked you, you could go to this, the website where HomePoint is, is founded there and they have a little video. It's about a minute and a half long. And right at the very beginning of it is kind of the, the, the underlying sentence that I think speaks to so much of this. And this is what it says. It said, less than 10% of kids whose parents go to church have any sort of faith discussion with their parents outside of church. Let me read that to you again and let it sink in for a minute. Less than 10% of kids whose parents go to church have any sort of faith discussion with their parents outside of the church. Other than maybe praying at a mealtime, what it's saying is, is parents, families come to church... They come in the doors, kids go to their whatever, adults go to their whatever, they spend time, they maybe spend some time together in here for an hour, hour and a half, a little other time on the, another day of the week. But when they get in their car and they go home, they never talk about it. It never comes up when they're watching television and never, their faith never comes up when they're looking at what's going on in the news. It's just nothing. And what if you watch that little video that I had you watch, what the pastor on there was talking about, he said, in many ways, we have outsourced the spiritual formation of our families. He said, we're an outsourcing society. What he meant by that is, is what we do is when we have a problem, there's somebody we pay to come and fix it. 
If our yard is ugly, we have a landscaping company come and they fix the grass. If we have leaves in the gutter, somebody comes and clean out our gutter. If our car is dirty, somebody comes and cleans our car. We hire somebody to take care of the problems that we don't want to take care of. The problem is, is that many people, whether they want to admit this or not, have done that with the spiritual formation of their family. They say, I take them to church and think that's it. I've done my duty. I check off the box. We're good. Is that going to work? This week, there was a little bit of a discussion. The president of the United States pointed out that there's several school districts in our country that are debating whether or not to add the Bible as curriculum in a public school. And here's the thing about all of that. It's not going to fix the problem. I mean, if you're a Christian thinking that's the solution, we'll just have the Bible taught by a lot of people that don't believe the Bible and it's not held up as the authoritative word of God and that's going to fix the problem. If, the, if it's not working in the church, why would it work out there? You see, what we're going to look at as we kind of go through this, it's, it's, it's up to the moms and the dads, the parents, it's up to our families. Spiritual formation takes place at home. The church comes alongside and helps. If you have your Bibles... Now that I'm through the introduction, now we're going to get to the sermon. But no, I'm just kidding. Turn to Judges, chapter 2. And yes, I know, some of the ladies are like, your, your wife is teaching on Judges. That's true. And it's just one of those God-like coincidences that this kind of fits exactly what we're talking about this morning. Judges, chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, I'm going to read a couple of verses, in verse, starting in verse 6 of Judges chapter 2. It says this, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at 110. They buried him and on and on and on. Go to verse 10. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers. That means the generation of Joshua and right after him died. Here's the sentence I want you to focus on. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. For the ladies that are going through Judges, hopefully this is starting to sink in for everybody else. This is what happens. Moses leads Israel. They wander in the desert for 40 years after they get out of Egypt. Moses dies. That generation dies. Joshua, who had seen all of the plagues, Joshua who had gone across when God's part of the Red Sea, he leads Israel into the promised land. They begin to defeat and drive out some of the inhabitants, although they don't get them all, they drive out some of them. But that generation does what God has called them to do. Joshua's generation is faithful. But somewhere along the line, they didn't communicate, they didn't raise up the next generation to, as it says here, Know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They didn't know him. The faith wasn't passed on. And so what happened? It's fine that you look at that verse. There's another heading right after that. But the heading right after that indicates what happens when they fail to know the Lord or his work. Verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. They bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. 
So the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and so on and so forth. They didn't know the Lord, so what did they do? They didn't know his ways, and they drifted. I have shared over the past several months about this this one survey, and I know I've done a lot of statistics this morning, and I apologize if that's not your thing, but that's part of what we're looking at this morning. And these statistics were about how evangelicals understand Christianity. Evangelicals would be cornerstone. It would be the people that come here, people that say they believe like what we believe. But I want you to see some of what, what our generation believes about God. First is this, 52% of evangelicals think people are generally good, that people are, are born good. That's over half that believe this. And the Bible, whether you know this or not, does not teach that. Go to Romans chapter 5 and it talks about Adam and what we inherit from Adam, that we are born sinners. 51% of evangelical thinks God accepts the worship of all religions. So when Jesus says worship in spirit and truth, when we go through the Old Testament and see all of the times that the Israelites worshiped incorrectly, just miss and skip over all of that and think God just takes it all in. But if you watch that video about moralistic therapeutic deism, it fits perfectly, doesn't it? Worship however you want. 78% of evangelicals believe God created Jesus. That Jesus is not co-eternal with the Father, that he's a created being. This goes all the way back to something called Gnosticism. Only 39% of evangelicals believe even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. In other words, you can sin and that doesn't violate a holy God's righteous justice. Only the big ones count. And so we look at this and we start to look at where we are today and we start to look at what Judges chapter 2 shows us. We start to see some of the connection. There, verse 10, that generation were gathered to their fathers and there arose another one who did not know the Lord or the work he had done. We're starting to see a generation that doesn't really know the Lord. And what happened to that generation? They served the Baals, the Ashtaroth, they served the idols, they served the culture. You really want to sum up what is moralistic therapeutic deism? It's the culture. It's what Western culture is today. And we have generations that are growing up to worship it. God wants me to be happy. That's the biggest goal in life. Everybody just does whatever they think is right and good. And and, and there's nothing more to it really than that. So, this is the happy sermon. This is why there's, there's an issue. This is one of those things as a pastor, you know, people ask me, as, you know, what, what, where do you see the church going and where are you, are you and the elders talking about things and all of that? This is a big issue right here, is the future. I have four kids of my own. My oldest is about to turn 12 years old. This is, speaks to my heart. And it's not just about... Home point is not just about moms and dads with their kids. There's grandparents that we're going to look at next week. There's singles. There's especially husbands and wives. It's the entirety of, of spiritual formation. And, and really what it's about is helping you be able to do that. Not just here at the church, but when you go home. So this is what I want us to do is we're going to close here in just a few moments. I'm going to pray and dismiss this. You had that little form that I asked you to fill out. All right. If you have filled it out, thank you. If you haven't, you got a minute here to try and do it, okay? 
And I want you to, if you can, just drop it in one of those baskets. If you don't, it's not, don't think it's the end of the world, but it's just, this is mostly to get you to start to think. It's to start to look at that as husbands and wives, as moms and dads, as grandparents. If you're single, as a single adult. And then what I want you to do is to take, when you leave here, you can drop it in the baskets on your way out. And then when you go out the doors, there's going to be a couple of stools or tables around with the exact same form. Part of Home Point, you'll see on there it says Home Point Appraisal, is every once in a while to get this type of a card, and it may change from time to time, to just kind of monitor how is the spiritual formation of your home going. How are you as a father, as a husband, as a mother, as a wife, as a child, how are we, we, we doing? And to see where maybe some changes need to take place. So it's, it's great that you fill it out here and drop it in those baskets, but what I would encourage you to do is take one of those forms home with you. And when you go home, begin to look at it and really kind of think about it. And think, am I really being intentional as a husband to be a husband the way the Bible describes it? Or as a wife, to be a wife is the way the Bible describes it. Or as a mom and a dad or a grandparent or any of those things. Am I really making this the center focus of my life? Or really have I let my, my spiritual formation be I show up at church, I hear the pastor preach, I shake his hand at the end, and then I go out to the rest of my life. So I encourage you, when you take this home, to really begin to intentionally think about your spiritual formation of your family. You may say, well, I'm older, my kids are older, it doesn't matter. My mom never quit praying for me. I walked away, but I came back. Don't ever stop praying. Stop praying.